from the front lines of the green rush. This is Green Entrepreneur, where business owners talk about how they found success in cannabis and how you can too. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Green Entrepreneur Podcast. My name is John Small, and I am the editor-in-chief of Green Entrepreneur, and I am very excited about our guest today. Raj Grover will join us in just a moment. Raj is the founder and CEO of High Tide and its subsidiary companies, which are Valiant Distribution, Canna Cabana, and Famous Brands. And Raj has grown High Tide from one small 500-square-foot smoke shop of just two employees back in 2009 into one of Canada's largest cannabis retailers with over a thousand employees, and they have business interests spanning North America and Europe. The company is actually the largest Canadian retailer of recreational cannabis as measured by revenue. So how did Raj do this? How did he grow his business uh, in such a way? Well, I was dying to know. It sounds like a great origin story, great lesson for other entrepreneurs out there. Without further ado, I bring you my interview with Raj Grover. Raj, welcome to the show. Jonathan, thanks for having me on your show. Appreciate it. So thank you so much for being here. Let's start from the beginning. Tell us a little bit about how you just got into this business. So, you know, getting into the cannabis industry was a fortunate accident, actually. I was in the fashion accessory space prior to starting High Tide. And um, one of my purchase trips to India, sourcing body jewelry, I actually stumbled across consumption accessories. And at that time, I'd never tried cannabis, but I had a good sense of, um, you know, high margins that were involved in consumption accessories and where they were actually sold, um, especially in the tourist markets in Canada. So I experimented with purchasing $10,000 worth of accessories from India which were being sold by the kilo instead of per piece and shipped it back home. And when I got back, I was able to sell the the entire shipment for a nice profit within a week of my return. And that's when I realized that this could be a really good business and maybe I should try my hand at it. And that's when I started Smoker's Corner, my first retail store selling consumption accessories, which was literally just 500 square feet uh, and with a total investment of $48,000 back in 2009. And then, you know, I uh, organically built that store network to 19 stores with 10 franchise locations and uh, nine corporate locations at its peak. Smoker's Corner also became the first franchisor in the head shop space at the time. So, you know, the idea always was to be vertically integrated and have diversified revenue streams. So I started RGR Canada in 2011, which is value and distribution today. And back then, we only started with 200 SKUs. We have upwards of 5,000 SKUs today in our catalog. We started designing, manufacturing, and distributing proprietary and uh, uh, proprietary consumption accessories first. And then in 2016, I co-founded Famous Brands, where we design and manufacture licensed consumption accessories for brands like Snoop, Trailer Park Boys, uh, Guns N' Roses, and many more. And then in 2018, the goal was to convert all our smoke shops into dispensaries through the launch of Canna Cabana. And we did exactly that. So the company was nicely profitable with you know $9.5 million in retained earnings uh, over the nine years of business. And the first time I actually ever raised any capital was April of 2018, when I decided to bring all of the divisions into one umbrella, which we call High Tide today, and took it public on the CSC in December of 2018. And today we are Canada's largest cannabis retailer with 110 retail locations uh, across the country. All right. So we're going to we're going to dig a little bit deeper into that because a lot of people might open up, you know, a small consumption shop like you did and just maybe have one store, maybe two if they're lucky. But to expand it the way you did, you must have had some secret sauce here. It wasn't I mean, luck. It's nice for you to say there's luck and maybe there is some luck involved, but I'm I'm sure a lot of it was your business acumen. 
So tell us a little bit about what you learned. So how did you learn to become an entrepreneur? First of all, what, where, where does this instinct come from? Is it a family trait that was passed on for you? Is it something, have you been an entrepreneur your whole life? I have been. I actually come from a family of businessmen. So, uh, you know, my father was into export import. We used to send uh, food, food products from Southeast Asia. So India, India, Indonesia, Thailand, Dubai. And he would export these food products to North America. So I and and my grandfather was a businessman as well, also a, a trader, but he was more of a domestic trader uh, in India. So I spent many summers, you know, starting at age fourteen in my dad's office, and I was mentored by him. Uh, so I learned a lot about business early. You know, lo- learned a lot about rupees versus dollars and. Uh, where you buy from and, you know, the potential of selling into these North American markets and European markets. And I was always very excited about that. So I got to Canada at 20 years old, started my first retail business at 22 and had all of this business experience learning with my father. So, you know, I I went straight to Southeast Asia and I was sourcing jewelry, uh, fashion accessories and and other related products from uh, China, Indonesia and India. And, um, you know, just Went. To, I was always, always uh, looking forward to doing my own business. Uh, that's because, you know, when I was leaving India, my father told me that if, if you're going to go to North America and, and get a job, don't leave. We have a good business here going. And I said, Dad, I definitely want to start my own business. So that was always the goal. That was always the ambition. And uh, coming from a family of entrepreneurs, it was an automatic fit for me. So that's how I got started uh, in business early on. You know, I tried my and also at a fast food restaurant, at a convenience store, uh, did a whole bunch of businesses. And uh, then when I stumbled across this opportunity for uh, consumption accessories, again, I, I had a good idea about the margins involved in the product and I capitalized on it. it. My secret sauce had been take calculated risks. When you see the opportunity, go for it. And, and that would be my advice to all young entrepreneurs that, you know, uh, take calculated risks. Don't be afraid, especially in North America. You know, we we as entrepreneurs are given many opportunities for success, but a lot of us shy away from just thinking about all sort of negative consequences. Until you try, you don't know. So I've always had that grit, that will to succeed. And, and that's how Smokers Corner got started. And I organically built that portfolio. You know, I was wearing all hats in that business when that got started initially. You know, I, when the first container, I, I imported my first container, I unloaded that first container myself and many containers afterwards, a 20-foot container coming from China because financial resources were limited. But I did what I had to do and I continually kept on investing in the brand and the business. And I also had a vision to be vertically integrated in the space to, to increase my margins and not only service my own chains, but to, to then start selling to other businesses in Canada and then beyond Canada. And I did exactly that with the founding of uh, Valiant Distribution and and famous brands. And it was a lot of outside the box thinking, Jonathan. You know, I've always thought outside the box that others are doing this. What could I do very different? So I came up with this very creative promotion in Smoker's Corner. It was called Spend 100, Get 50 Back, you know, which really took off like wildfire. And uh, I wrote that promotion for nine years. What was that? Tell us what that promotion was. So the promotion was you you come to a store and the pitch always was to have to greet the customer that, you know, uh, if, you, if you get your spend up to $100, you can pick a $50 item of your choice in the store, but it's one $50 item. You can't, you know, pile up the basket and get to $50, but it's one $50 item. So when I did my math, typically, you know, because I was importing these accessories myself, uh, designing and importing these accessories myself, the cost would 
generally be about you know, eight to 15%. So it's really about giving an eight to 15% discount to the customer. So it's, it's very much doable for the business. But in the customer's mind, they were getting a $50 product for free on a $100 purchase. So that really, it went really well right from inception. And I wrote that promotion to nine years and uh, 19 stores at its peak. They were still doing the promotion until the end of Smoker's Corner, which we only ended because Again, you know, forward thinking when Trudeau came into power and he announced that we were recreational cannabis was, was the way to go. Uh, and that's what we were going to do. I had to come up with a strategy to convert the smoke shops into cannabis dispensaries. And uh, I knew that people were not going to buy their cannabis in one shop and then go to another shop to buy their water pipes or vaporizers or rolling papers or other supplies. And it was all going to become one concept. So I got ahead on the concept and, and you know, started making runs on the Bay Street and, and learning about public markets and how to raise capital. And I was able to raise $18.5 million on my Go Public round, which was, I believe, April of 2018. That was the first time I ever raised capital. Until then, Jonathan, from 2009 to 2018, you know, the company was very, very profitable. Uh, we had nine and a half million dollars of retained earnings in a company for just consumption accessories. It's 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 not easy to do, uh, but I achieved all that. And when I shared my story on Bay Street, the bankers that I was speaking with, they they all saw it that it was all about running your operations well, having that vision, and then executing on that vision. And that's how I was able to raise capital for High Tide. And here we are today. A lot of achievements have been done, but I couldn't have done this alone. I've got a amazing team to back me up on everything I need. I definitely have the vision and strategy on what, what is the next move we are going to make, but I also have an amazing team that has supported me very well. What was your point of difference? Because you had these smoke shops that were very successful and then transitioning to cannabis. You said you like to think out of the box. What was your pitch to make your shops different than others? So because I had the accessories experience, Jonathan, I saw this as a huge advantage. When I was going to Bay Street, I would hear a lot of stories about uh, capital markets ideas and, and, and big capital market guys who wanted to invest in cannabis and just wanted to be a part of cannabis. But at the end of the day, you got to run a business and you need to understand your operations and you need to understand every facet of your business that you're running. And I saw that as an opportunity for myself because I was always an operator from the age of 22. And even prior to that, learned a lot of business skills from my father. And uh, taking once once I, I took High Tide public, I started seeing how a lot of the different CEOs and even in some cases founder CEOs were trying to grow cannabis, and they were they were not farmers or they had no farming skills in their family or but they were in the cannabis business to make money. Uh, but for myself, of course, I was in the business to make money, but I I understood my business well and I executed on that business and I continue doing that until today. I genuinely understand every facet of my business. You know, I'm very involved with it. I'm almost too involved, I feel, at some point uh, operationally. But I will uh, um, continue to give more and more to my team when I get that confidence that I can move on from this particular element and do other things. But you don't exit early on that regard. You know, you don't. My advice is that no one should get too comfortable when they're running a business. They definitely need to keep their eyes on because a business never goes in a straight line. You know, it's always changing and uh, you must be on top of what is happening. So that has sort of been my secret sauce and being really involved in understanding my business and thinking two steps ahead of what's coming up next in the industry. Talk about these different subsidiaries. So Canna Cabana, and I'm sorry because I'm not in Canada, so I can't, I would probably be more familiar with these if I was in Canada. You have the retail business, you have a distribution, right? Valiant Distribution is your distribution business. Canna Cabana is the 
brick and mortar? Yes. So Canacabana is a brick and mortar arm. We have 109 stores in Canada. Uh, we operate in Ontario, Manitoba, Saskatchewan, and Alberta. And soon we are going to establish our shops in BC as well. We have we should have the first one coming up in, in March or April. There are shops under development in BC right now. And then we also have uh, e-commerce division. So we have three accessory, we have four accessories platforms, and then we have three CBD platforms. We acquired six accessory e-commerce businesses accessories and CBD e-commerce businesses in 2021 alone and increased our outside of Canada run rate from 11 million Canadian to almost $80 million today. So, you know, you could see that exponential growth there all while becoming Canada's largest retailer. You know, we added 48 shops organically in Canada last year. Uh, and prior to that, in November of 2020, we, we took out our second largest competitor at the time, which was Meta Growth, and practically doubled our store count then. So what I'm really proud of is, uh, although we compete in Canada and the Canadian ca uh, cannabis landscape has been extremely competitive, we've been able to carve out a niche in the Canadian cannabis retail landscape through our discount club model, which has been a very innovative model, uh, first of its kind in North America. What's that? Can you tell me a little bit about the discount club? How does that work? Yes, yes. So the discount club, think of Costco. So we, we modeled this business after the Costco model because we were always designers and manufacturers of consumption accessories right from our inception in 2009. And there's not many of my competitors uh, that play in this niche or have this skill set or this business as part of their ecosystem. So, you know, I've, I've always known because we've had this large accessories catalog of 5,000 SKUs out of which we design and manufacture almost 75% of these accessories. My goal always was, I, I understood, again, it's about understanding your business. Like you sell these accessories to the people that consume cannabis. And you need some type of accessories for the to consume cannabis, whether it's a rolling paper, it's a hand pipe, water pipe, vaporizer, you need something. So because we were manufacturers of almost 75% of all accessories we sold, I came up with this one-stop shop strategy that I don't want to build a big 3,000 square feet store where people walk in and look at a couple of TV screens and they're like, okay, I'll order this from the menu. Why do you need a 3,000 square feet store? My idea was always use the retail square feet footage well. You know, extract as many dollars per square foot as we can uh, from that retail footprint that we have. And what I did was I designed the stores to provide a wall-to-wall -wall coverage of accessories, which you would never see, Jonathan, in any other store. I have not seen that in Canada. I have not seen that in the United States. So this was a very much an original concept that we created. And it immediately took off because we, we solved that problem of customers not having to leave and buying their special accessory or, or something that they really want to having to go to a smoke shop or a head shop or to an online retailer. So we made that one-stop shop concept. So that came together. And then the goal was always to create, you know, have the scale so we can create our own white label brands, sort of like the Kirkland Signature brand that you see today. So all of these and, and right from the get-go, we had a membership program going. And, and, you know, even today, a lot of our competitors don't have a membership program. And my philosophy always was that if you take care of your customers, they'll become loyal to you and, and they'll spend their dollars uh, within our ecosystem. And, and that prophecy is true even today. Today, we have almost 400,000 Cabana Club members. And, you know, this is up significantly, Jonathan. At the beginning of January 2021, we were sitting at, I believe, 75,000 members. 
And uh, before the start of the uh, launch of the Discount Club model, we were at 245,000 members. Today, we have 400,000 members, approximately 400,000 members in our ecosystem. And just previous to the launch of the Discount Club model, we were a 50, over 50% of our daily transactions were conducted by club members. Now that number has gone over 90%. So we know it's working very, very well. Now, are these members all Canadians or does this expand to America and beyond? Canada expand. This 400,000 member base is strictly Canadian. This Cabana Club is only Canada at the moment, but we we are absolutely going to expand this into into United States and then internationally we are going to have a a large membership base globally. But to supplement this already, Jonathan, uh, you know, the other the other fact that I'm very proud of is at the beginning of 2021, we just had 650,000 international customers in our database through grasscity.com, which is the world's oldest online smoke shop selling uh, consumption accessories. So everything to do with glass pipes and water pipes, vaporizers, rolling papers, rolling supplies. And they had since inception about 650,000 customers in their database. So with all this strategic and accretive acquisitions we did in 2021, which was six e-commerce platforms, we have upped this number from 650,000 customers to 3 million international customers today in our database. And 80% of these customers reside in the United States. And Jonathan, these are the people, you know, people that are uh, buying rolling papers and water pipes and vaporizers are the ones consuming heavy cannabis. They're the more mature user of cannabis. Well, we already have access to them. We also have access to a ton of CBD customers now, which is which are also focused on various cannabinoids from the cannabis and the hemp plant. So, you know, we've acquired these very, very valuable customers ahead of our competition, both here in Canada and the United States. In Canada, we are leading with 400,000 Cabana Club members, which I believe is the highest in the country here. In the United States, I don't think there's any other entity that has 3 million potential future THC customers in their database. So, you know, I feel that as soon as federal legalization happens, we are ready uh, to to start selling them cannabis products. Yeah. Do you think, is that what the the the, the um, obstacle between you selling your products, cannabis products in the United States is is the federal legalization, is the is the way that we're, we're set up, the crazy way that it's set up in this country right now? It is. It's also because on the exchanges that we trade on. So we trade on the Toronto Stock Exchange Venture as well as the NASDAQ Stock Exchange and both exchange exchanges prohibit us or any other cannabis retailer or or cannabis company to touch the cannabis plant in the United States. But this is a temporary situation, John. You know, there's already talks about the Safe Banking Act and potentially a full federal legalization, although we are not counting, counting on it in the near term. We have a beautiful business that we are building today. Our revenues are growing exponentially. Uh, You know, we are gaining market share. We are gaining very loyal members. And these members are very relevant potential future THC customers. So I am building that portfolio today. But at some point, the switch will happen, Jonathan. Whether that happens next year or the year after that, or it takes three years from now, it will happen. And that will provide high tide with the exponential THC opportunity. However, you know, we are capitalizing on the ancillary business opportunity today, which is still related to cannabis. And it's very much in line with what I need to do in the future by acquiring these THC customers today. So you're well positioned and you're and you're you're ready for the big move. What can we learn 
in the United States from the Canadian recreationally, federally recreational legally experiment or decision. Is there anything that you guys did right and things that you've done wrong that we can learn when we finally go federally legal? Absolutely. You know, there's been so many lessons uh, in cannabis in Canada. There's never a dull moment. Jonathan, you know, things change by the day, by the week, by the month here in cannabis in Canada. But all of these have been great stepping stones and, and great lessons for companies like ourselves because we've learned and we've improvised now. And I always say, if a cannabis company can make money in Canada, which is one of the most difficult landscapes, period, uh, if you compare any industry, I think cannabis industry in Canada has been very challenging. And if we can learn to grow our revenue, revenues at this speed and gain customers at this speed and gain market share and build brand value and concepts at the speed that we've done, I think we will be highly successful in the United States. Because in U.S., you know, you're talking about 25% gross margins for an average cannabis retailer in Canada or 27, 28% gross margins. You're talking about 65% gross margins in the United States. So even if you make some mistakes in the US, you've got a lot of room to run. But because we have, we've learned from the school of hard knocks, I think when we get to the U.S., uh, it will be smooth sailing for high time. What were the, the Canadian government, what were the, some of the mistakes they made that hopefully we won't make in the United States? Is it taxes? Is it overregulation? What are some of the things that you saw that, that have really been obstacles in your business and in, in growing it? I think definitely overregulation is a, is a big part of it. You can't really blame the federal government on this because Canada was really the first major country in the world to legalize cannabis. And, you know, there was a lot of ifs and buts rising on it, uh, riding on it and, and, you know, things had to be tried and tested before they could really start opening up the industry, which is happening now. We are starting to see improvement, at least on the provincial side of things. You know, a lot of provincial regulators are opening up and understanding this is just not doable. Companies just cannot be successful like this. But a lot of the rules were put in place in sort of haste and sort of not very well thought out, you know, which which is, again, which is starting to change. And I believe the U.S. regulators, it's also in the United States as well, it's going to be state by state, just like we have things happening in Canada. And I think U.S. regulators are going to have a very good case study from Canada to improvise on the regulations that they will come up come up with post-federal legalization. But we remain prepared in any case. We are prepared because of the lessons we've learned here in Canada. I think we'd be able to do a great job in the U.S. Are you uh, a cannabis consumer yourself? How do you how do you use cannabis in your own life? I am. Uh, I was never a cannabis consumer when I got into the business. I tried cannabis once before 33 years old and did not like the experience. But I think there may have been an alcohol mix somewhere in that, uh, if my memory serves me well. But at 33 years old, you know, I was having sleeping difficulty and. Uh, uh, that's when I first tried uh, the indica strain through a vaporizer and slept like a baby. And then I realized that fortunately, I'm in the business and this plant is really an amazing plant for those who need help. And since then, you know, I have used cannabis to go to bed as an indica and sometimes now recreationally over the weekend. But that's the extent of my cannabis usage. But I am definitely a proponent. I have seen the benefits of uh, cannabis firsthand. It's just sleep uh, for myself. But I, I have a ton of stories, you know, that, that, I, that I'm aware of now. And they're all genuinely such good stories and feels great to be in this industry because cannabis plant can really help a lot of people. What's the best business advice you've ever received, maybe from your, your father or from a thought leader that's really stuck with you over the years that has really helped guide you in your business decisions? So my father always told me, take calculated risk. As long as you're not going to the casino and gambling your money, you don't be afraid of taking risk in business. 
And I give the same advice now to others when they ask me because it holds true until today. Uh, if you look at what we've done, you know, we've, we've practically doubled our revenue every year or even more aggressive in some cases. And that's because when I see an opportunity, I seize it with both hands. And obviously you cannot seize every single opportunity, but when you see it and it's within your realm and you understand it, you go for it. You take a calculated risk. When you get too far involved with analyzing and taking way too long, you've got 10 other guys ahead of you, right? So I just don't let that passed me. I've always been very opportunistic with business and it's paid dividends. That's great. When you say calculated risk, what do you mean by calculated? Just so I understand that. A calculated risk is not going into an opportunity blind. You're not just randomly going after an opportunity. You, When you see an opportunity come, like I did with federal legalization, for example, I'll give an example of a calculated risk. So when Justin Trudeau came into power and, and, and said that we were going to go the recreational route, again, I had smoke shops at that time and I was very successful in that business. Like I said, we had nine and a half million dollars retained earnings in that business. But I knew that as the landscape develops and the customers start to purchase cannabis in retail shops, they're going to be wanting to purchase their consumption accessories at the same place as well. And I saw this coming early, but in 2014, 2015, this is a lot to digest that it's not going to happen for the next couple of years. And now you've got to think about how do I wind this down and how do I start ramping up the the other side. And, you know, I, would, I was always a, a, a private markets guy, no experience with public markets at that time. So it was a bit out of my comfort zone. But again, the opportunity was there. Nevertheless, I was the cannabis operator in the space. So I seized it with both hands and I started mapping the opportunity and had this vision that I'm going to convert my smoke shops into dispensaries. And I was, you know, totally focused on it and we made it happen. Well, Raj Grover, it's a great story and it's a great company, High Tide. Thank you so much for taking the time to share your, uh, your story and your wisdom with us today. Jonathan, I appreciate you having me on the show. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to the Green Entrepreneur Podcast. To find out more about Green Entrepreneur, you can go to greenentrepreneur.com or check out our magazine on newsstands everywhere. Check out our Instagram at Green Entrepreneur. We're also on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, and all other social media feeds. If you like this podcast and you'd like to hear more from me, Jonathan Small, check out my other podcast, Right About Now. That's W-R-I-T-E to get some in-depth interviews into the lives and stories of successful writers, how they got there, what they learned, and what you need to succeed. That's writeaboutnowmedia.com. Until next episode, we'll THC you later.